What's up? It's episode 49, Pain Points of Wealth, and the world is in flux. We've got the Delta variant of the coronavirus raging, which is causing more lockdowns, disruptions in the economy. The Taliban has taken over Afghanistan, adding geopolitical risk to the global economy. In addition to that, we've got infighting on Capitol Hill. What else is new? Looking to spend trillions of dollars. Are our taxes just going to go through the roof? Is inflation just going to run wild? We're going to address that today. And on the tipping point, we're going to talk about financial disasters with your financial plan. What mistakes you don't want to make, you need to avoid at all costs. We've seen over and over again that you need to avoid. We're going to break it down for you. We've got a great show for you. Hit the music. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. Well, guys, here's some news in plain sight. We have our Pain Points of Wealth podcast, and the stock market have something in common. First, our podcast, the fastest growing podcast in the country, and we just had the fourth fastest rally to 100% return in the stock market in history. Believe it or not, we're up 100% since March of 2020 as of this week. Well, you know what the ironic part about that is? I've been talking to most of my clients over the past two weeks, and every single one of them is completely bearish on the markets. They can't understand why the markets continue to go up, and they're expecting some kind of big pullback as a result of something political, inflationary, or even policy-wise. So who knows? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, if you look at all the surveys out there, you've got pretty much every investor right now, even though the market's been this strong, still is leaning a little bit bearish. Also, every analyst and strategist on Wall Street, which, you know, guys, we just love to make fun of those Wall Street analysts, are also calling for like a 10, 15% correction. And we're going to the weakest part of the year seasonally. From August to Halloween, typically the market performs the worst. So I don't know. What do you think, guys? Is this it? The big correction's coming finally? Our clients are finally right? Well, guys, you know, bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on optimism, and they peak in euphoria. Sounds like to me, we're back to the beginning of the bull market, not the end. Well, that's a really good point. And you, know, you haven't seen that euphoria. Now, you have seen it in slices of the market because you look at cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin has actually had a little run here. You know, I saw a really good article this week, and this analyst was talking about the whole market eventually melting up like a meme stock. And I actually think that's possible. You know, we've talked about this $4 trillion sitting in cash. And you know, we've seen companies like GameStop, AMC that have been you know, shot to the moon well, I don't think it's inconceivable that the whole market at some point here is just going to get shot to the moon, given there's so much dry powder out there. Well, it's pretty amazing, right? When you think about it, with all the cash on the sidelines, believe it or not, institutions have more money, which we call smart money, on the sidelines than individual investors, which are referred to by Wall Street as dumb money. But the market's at an all-time record high. It looks like the dumb money's outperforming the smart money, as far as I can see. It's hard to discern between Wall Street really being the quote-unquote smart money <laughs> to be honest about it. But it is a really interesting dynamic right now where there is so much cash. And even if you look at S&P 500 companies right now, they're sitting on something like just under $2 trillion in cash, which they're spending to improve their capacity. You know, We've talked about this labor shortage. So when you can't find workers, what do you do? You innovate and you spend money to become more productive, whether you automate your systems, you add in different technologies. And I think you're going to see more of that. So companies become more productive 
and they're doing what we call stock buybacks. We talked about this in the last episode of financial engineering, where they go and they buy back their stock, which makes the stock that you own more valuable. And again, these are all very, very bullish signs. You know, I was talking to one of my clients this week, and you know, he's also very, very bearish in the markets. And he's like, you're going to get this big pullback. He's like, you know, the market's not going to recover. And I said, look, I said, when your business pulled back back in March of last year, I said, did you close your doors? Did you close up shop? Did you fire all your employees? He's like, no. He's like, we cut costs. He said, we tried to figure out a way to be able to conduct business despite what was going on. And I said, well, guess what? Every single company around the world is doing the exact same thing. So why should the market be any different? You know, the markets always climb a wall of worry. There's always got to be a headwind because if it's everything's priced for to perfection and there's no risk, then there's no opportunity. So, you know, COVID, of course, is a risk right now, but we've already seen that movie, right? It was a black swan event a year and a half ago. So the market doesn't drop on the same news twice. You know, meanwhile, you've got this infrastructure bill, which I don't know if you remember, that was supposed to be three and a half trillion dollars. It's now down to a half a trillion dollars of new spending spread over 10 years. That's not even going to move the meter a little bit on the market. But we do have inflation. Inflation is something we should all be concerned about. You know, one of the things I was reading the other day is we don't have the new rents that are going up because, you know, look at housing prices. If I own a home, I'm a landlord. When I'm allowed to evict people, those rents are going up. That's inflation. That's another brick in the wall of inflation that's coming our way. Yeah. And that's a big force, obviously, we talk about every week on the show. And of course, the labor market, which is a big deal. Every client I talk to, every business owner I talk to right now, you know, we've talked about this at nauseum right now. It's having trouble finding workers. But I think the other big force here that needs to be talked about is we're having a productivity boom. When we had lockdown last year, companies became just so much more efficient than they ever were before. And we saw that with our business too. I mean, you know, we were able to work more remotely than we before. Our operations team didn't need to be in the office anymore. All of our documents could be signed online now as opposed to sending UPS packages to everybody. So all that automation and you know not having to commute all the time has increased productivity significantly. So maybe wages go up, but if you're more productive as well, that is kind of a counterforce. That actually bodes really, really well for the economy, not just this year, but for over the next couple of years. Hey, Rye, here we go again. Productivity's through the roof. Our company's doing well. So what does your brother do? He goes on vacation again. You know, he's up in Rhode Island. He just took a sailing lesson last night. I'll tell you what, he really has this figured out. Maybe Chris is actually calling his clients when he's actually on the boat sailing. Maybe he's become that productive. I suspect he's not, but maybe he is. I hear he's using a satellite phone because, you know, he never knows where he's going to be in the world. So he's not dependent on cellular technology. He's got one of those fancy cellular phones and a global GPS. Listen, everybody, don't listen to the haters. You know, the internet's a wonderful thing. You can work from anywhere and live anywhere. I just happened to choose Newport, Rhode Island for the month of August, and I'm working just as hard for you. Unfortunately, Ryan and Bob are not, and they're just bitter because they can't be up here with me. Sounds like a rationalization to me, but, you know, I digress. The other interesting component right now, we've talked a lot about rotation, is when money moves to different parts of the market. And this year, you know, we had the great reopening trade where a lot of money funneled into a lot of the sectors that benefit the most from business activity picking up, you know, everything from financials, energy. But over the last couple of months since May, we've seen a lot of money go back into technology, into bond funds, which, you know, really wasn't doing as well in the beginning of the year. So the question is, you know, where do you put your money right now to position yourself? Growth is hot again. So is it time to pile your money back into tech and what we call long duration assets? That's a great point, Rod. You know, tech has had a little catch up trade because it's been pretty much flat for the year. Actually, when you look at the global stock markets, most people aren't going to believe this, but the French stock market is up more than the NASDAQ year to date in 2021. 
blows people's minds, but everybody forgets that we're a global economy. We're not the only country in the world with a stock market. And I'll tell you, everybody I spoke to this week, and I asked them that question, they all picked the NASDAQ. But France is kicking the NASDAQ's butt this year so far. So make sure you have money outside of the US. There's money to be made. Well, I have to say, give us some props here, gentlemen. I always use that term loosely, but we talked about Europe a couple of weeks ago on the show, and Europe is going through the roof. It's not getting a lot of coverage in the press, but I mean, you look at Europe in general, it's like an all-time market high right now, right neck and neck with the S&P 500. But I think the caveat here is, is the markets overseas are just so much cheaper. So you know, as you're positioning your portfolio, and you know, we think about this and we're building portfolios for clients, we're not thinking about the next year, we're thinking about the next five years, 10 years, you really have to have that global portfolio because that's where the opportunity is going to be. And you know, going back to that labor shortage, it's something we talk about a lot. The big problem here in the US is you know, we basically have a population that's not growing that fast anymore, and that's going to be a big problem for years to come. Hey, Chris, I got a heads up for you. You know when Ryan told us he was going over to Europe to do research? Turned out it was just another vacation. Yeah, I think Ryan was out on a hydrofoiling surfboard, if I'm not mistaken. I saw the pictures. Yes, it's out there on the internet, Ryan. You can't deny it. It didn't look like they were doing a lot of research you know, in that villa in Spain, but that's okay. I'm buying it. I hope the IRS buys it too. We all know Bob lives at the beach, right? Look, so just to wrap things up this morning, you're going to hear a lot about the headwinds going into the fall here, and there are a lot of headwinds, but the reality of it is we're still in a big booming bull market. There's plenty of cash on the sidelines. There's plenty of opportunity. Profits going up, productivity is going up. As we like to say here at Payne Capital Management, you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to get invested now. Hey, I hope you're enjoying episode 49, Pain Points of Wealth. We've doubled our listenership over the year. We're officially a year old. Thank you for the support. If you like our podcast, you dig it, don't be shy. Give us a five-star rating. If you're listening to this on iTunes, you can subscribe to our channel. Give us a good review. Send it out to your friends. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please click the like button. You can subscribe to the channel and click that little notification bell so you can be updated every week as our podcast comes out. All right, gentlemen, it's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob and Chris, with a thousand or so financial reviews we do at our firm, Pain Capital Management, that we perform yearly for our clients, it's almost scandalous how badly some financial matters get handled. So I thought we could talk about the steps you need to take to have what I would call a scandal-free financial plan. Well, guys, I'm blowing the whistle right now on the biggest scandal in the history of the financial markets since the 1900s. And that's the mutual fund industry. We all know from every study that's been done that no money manager can outperform their underlying index. So what do they do? They take money managers and they sell mutual funds and they churn the account every year, generating capital gains that you have to pay tax on and reduces your cost. So they charge you more, give you a lower return and have you pay more taxes. If that's not a scandal, I don't know what is. Well, it is mind blowing to think today in today's age with all the data out there that you would actually have a mutual fund in your portfolio. I mean, literally the fees are typically higher to your point, Bob, most money managers underperform and worst, it's a very tax inefficient vehicle because they have to pay out their capital gains to you every single year. So that means even if the market went down in a given year, you might still be paying taxes on your growth fund because they took gains on that portfolio. So that's like the worst. I lost money, but I still pay taxes. Thanks a lot. To use a Bobism, any money saved in taxes and fees is just as green as any money that can be made in the market. So stay away from those mutual funds. I do. I love green, Chris. I'll tell you that much. Here's the issue, right? I mean, if we know this, again, because we look at probably more portfolios than any firm, every financial services firm loves to sell you high-fee, tax-efficient, inefficient products. 
This goes for the annuity industry, with those insurance products, and it goes from the brokerage products that get sold. And what blows my mind is, like taxes are probably one of the most important things when it comes to your portfolio. You know, by lowering taxes, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you take. That just skews everything in your favor. And most of what gets sold to you is tax inefficient. And the biggest scandal is they dominate the most important investment portfolio that all of you have is that's your 401k is dominated by the insurance industry, by the mutual fund industry. And it just blows my mind. When you have a mutual fund company running your 401k, guess whose mutual funds are pitching to you? When you have an insurance company managing your 401k, guess who includes annuities in your 401k? I mean, it's a scandal. You should go right to your president, right to your HR department and say, please give us a fiduciary run 401k. This is outrageous. Well, since you guys have already started teasing me about being in Newport, Rhode Island, I guess the cat's out of the bag. And I'll tell you what, this morning I went out for a run and I ran past the Vanderbilt Summer Cottage, quote unquote. Now, the Summer Cottage is a 25,000 square foot mansion that sits on the best piece of property here in Newport. And the thing that occurred to me was that, you know what, the Vanderbilts no longer have their fortune. And it's because they built these monstrosities that just cost way too much money to maintain. And they forgot the golden rule. Don't spend the principal. So- what I would encourage you to do is really start to look at your budget. Where are the leaks? Hey, Ryan, it sounds like to me, Chris is doing some house hunting. He started right at the top. We actually did a family tour of that house and it's huge. And it was something that was around the 1930s or 1940s. They just couldn't afford the taxes on it anymore. So I think the point here is I don't care if you make a lot of money, you have a lot of assets, or maybe you're even starting out in your financial life. Your budget is so critical. How many of us really have a budget and go through our expenses? You know, I love that about our firm is we've made when we meet with clients, we meet with prospective clients, it feels like a therapy session, right? I even have a couch in our office here where people sit because, you know, you're going through and just looking at like what you spend and figuring out what your needs actually are. It's crazy when you see what a lot of those superfluous expenses are. It's crazy. And if you cut those out, it has a huge positive impact. But on the other hand, like, you know, I remember I met with a client that had $10 million and we did his budget. He was spending a million dollars a year and I had to tell him, I was like, guess what? You're going to run out of money in the next decade. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, a million dollars a year isn't going to cut it when you have a $10 million portfolio. It doesn't work. Yeah, I'll tell you that though, Ryan. That's the bull market signal because during the lockdown over the last year and a half, we actually had almost 100% of our clients on budget. We only had one who wasn't. He'll remain nameless. And now you know that everything's opening up, nobody's going to stay within their budget over the next 12 months. So that's also a big booming bull market indicator. What I mean, argue here too, like, look, if you were able to get your expenses in check, stick with it, right? You know, start the savings now, get in the habits before everything's completely opened up again, because a lot of those good habits will continue. And that's why I like sitting down with our clients every year, because it's like, let's sit down and look at what you spent. Are you on track, not on track? Because it's the impact that it has long term is the problem. It's like, I have 10 million bucks, I feel secure. But in this client's case, they weren't, they were running out of money. And it doesn't matter what your net worth is, everyone needs to run that budget. Well, you know what, Ryan? I'd like to think if Cornelius Vanderbilt had you as his financial advisor, there would still be a pretty substantial Vanderbilt fortune today. Yeah. The other big issue we see right now, because we are in a big booming bull market, is a lot of times the risk in your portfolio becomes outsized and you don't even know it because the market's gone up to your point, Bob, 100% since last March. Maybe you were 50 or 60% in the market, but now you're 80, 90% in the market because the market's just grown so much. You've got to keep that risk in check because at some point here, I don't have a crystal ball, you are going to get a huge market sell-off or a crash. And if you're not allocated correctly ahead of time, 
you're out of luck. And right now, while things are going well, that's the time you got to make those decisions. You can't do it when the music stops or the party's over. Well, that's the whole point. I mean, we see 50 different cases a week of new clients that want to come work with paying capital management, and none of them have a financial plan. All their portfolios are floating with the whims of the market. If you don't have a strategy based on rebalancing and diversification and taking some risk off the table after you have a 100% move, you don't have a plan. You're just drifting. You're a drifter. And you know the problem with being a drifter is you're going to go over that fall. And when you go over that fall, it's a long way down and it goes down much faster than it goes up. It's like going down an elevator shaft. Well, I like that analogy of being a drifter, Dad. And last night after my sailing, I had a conversation with a prospective client. And one of the things he told me is like, you know, I have no problem being aggressive. I want you to take as much risk as you possibly can. And I said, well, taking as much risk as you possibly can is kind of like riding around in a motorcycle without a helmet. It gives you no protection. And the reality is, is that most of our clients don't need to take a lot of risk to reach their financial goals. And I think that's the thing most people don't realize is that, you know, you really have to have parameters around what you're trying to accomplish because that really keeps the risk down in your portfolio. It does. And I think the other thing to think about here is what we found over time is a more conservative portfolio actually ends up outperforming a more aggressive portfolio because it's not about the upside. You know, we talked about this before in the past, but getting all the upside is not the key. It's when the market sells off aggressively and we know it happens once in a while and it's awful. It's during those times, if you're the most protected and you don't lose on the downside, you end up with the best return long term. And I think that's the biggest misconception when it comes to investing. A lot of people now are like, oh, I got to take advantage of this big booming bull market. You know, I'm young or even if you're a little bit older, like this is the time to get when the getting's good. That's the wrong thinking. And that's where when the market gets everybody in and it's starting to happen, it's going to suck all this money in over the course of the next couple of months and maybe in the next year. This is where a lot of people are going to see a lot of wealth destruction on the other end of it. That's why right now you've got to be the smartest about it. And you've got to be careful about the risk you have in your portfolio. It's not about getting the upside. You know, the old Bobism guys, past performance is 100% indicative of past performance. Best performing asset class, best performing investment in the last 10 years, the simple S&P 500 index. What did it do the previous 10 years? Zero. Zero. If you had a well-diversified portfolio the previous 10 years, you doubled your money. I don't know. I'll take a double over zero any day of the week. You don't think you're taking risks right now? You're sorely mistaken. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day, even if Chris goes on vacation a lot. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, you can apply to your own finances at any stage of your financial journey. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you have over 750000 saved for financial independence... Well, you can have Bob, Chris, and I run for you our famous Total Financial Master Plan. We'll do a full financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a full holistic financial review. We literally look at everything. We do a full audit of your investments, do a deep dive of the fees that you're paying. We look at tax optimization. We do a complete savings and income plan to make sure you're on track to your own path to financial independence, simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a complimentary financial review. Hey, I hope you're enjoying episode 49, Pain Points of Wealth. We've doubled our listenership over the last year. Thank you. Don't be shy. Click the like button. Leave us some comments. Give us five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can click the like button, subscribe to our channel. And click that little notification bell to be updated every week 
as our new podcast comes out. All right, Bob and Chris, it's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, in the 1970s, the inflation of that decade was largely a result of the explosion in energy prices that, to a major extent, reflected oil-producing countries refusing to be paid in the ever-depreciating U.S. dollar. Could it happen again, Bob? Hey, Ryan, a lot of bad things happened in the 70s, like bell bottoms and leisure suits. And I got pictures to prove it. But we absolutely had inflation. We had hyperinflation. But a lot of it had to do with lack of productivity growth. So it wasn't just the oil companies you know, producing not enough oil. There were a lot of other things going on that led to hyperinflation, high interest rates. And basically, the biggest bull market in bonds was born during that period. Well, let's not forget about that disco dancing on TV when he was discophonic, Bob. <laughs> See, not everything in the 70s was bad. And let's face it, Bob, 70s rock. I don't think anything can compete. But, you know, just another comment on that. You're hearing a lot of arguments that we're going into the 70s again with hyperinflation. I think we are going to see inflation, but productivity, which is a big component of what's happening right now, is going through the roof, which, again, that's not like the 70s. That's a positive that says now this economy is a lot different and a lot better than it was in the 1970s. Chris, the dollar share of global currency reserves has dropped from around 72% at the turn of the century to under 60% is at the end of King Dollar. It's always possible, Rye, but I think that other 40% is the beloved Bob coin. It could be. You know, I've heard a lot of governments around the world are seriously considering it. Kazakhstan apparently wants to use it as their currency. So we should look into that. But I think, you know, the dollar has been weakening really since last year, since the crisis, since the pandemic. We've seen a little bit of a bounce recently. But again, this is why you want to have a global portfolio, because when the dollar depreciates, that's very good for companies overseas. That's very good for any equities that you own overseas, something you have in your portfolio. Bob, according to analytics firm Morningstar, the average bond fund only holds 43% in AAA rated bonds or the highest quality. Do you know what's in your bond fund? It's not exactly that commercial, you know, you know where your kids are. You know, the thing is with a bond fund, the one thing you have to do is get the prospectus and go right to the risk factors. It can tell you all the things that are going to go wrong because the problem when you have a bond fund is you don't know what's in there. And in order to overcome the costs and up the yield, they put a lot of lower quality, what we call junk bonds or non-rated bonds in a portfolio. When Puerto Rico bonds defaulted, all of a sudden, all these bond fund holders found out they had tons of it. They never knew. You don't want to find out when you see your price drop 40% that you should have known something all along. Yeah. I think the moral story is here. Don't own bond funds. <laughs> you don't know your risk. It's not good. Chris, the housing shortage, the past decade of low housing construction has led to a housing shortage. Single family housing starts should average around 1.2 million next year, up from 1 million this year. That compares favorably to the annual rate of less than a million throughout the period from August 2007 through November 2019. We basically have had a decade of just not enough construction being done. Well, and that's even more compounded right now, right? Up here in Newport, there is literally nothing for sale. Same goes in Philadelphia. And I talked to a client of mine yesterday who just came into a bunch of money. He's looking for a second home. He's lost out on every single bid. He just didn't get it done fast enough. Yeah. And you hear a lot of these comments like, we're in a housing bubble, but it's different than the housing bubble because back then you had a surplus of houses. Remember just all these vacant properties and these developments that would just be sitting there completely with nobody in them. Now it's the complete opposite problem. You have lots of people that want homes. That's not a bubble. <laughs> you know, that's a trend that can go on for a long time for where I'm standing. I don't know, Ryan. Sounds like to me that Chris is getting into a bidding war on that Vanderbilt mansion. 
I don't think we're going to see Chris ever again, Bob. I know. He's looking at admissions. He's floating with the elite up there in Rhode Island. I don't know. Maybe he'll talk to us someday again. We'll see. My brother Chris's blood is bluer than mine. We know that. Well, another great show. If you like our content, you love our content, please subscribe. Click that like button. We'll do it again next week. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Music